Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to be reading Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Now, we killed many trees in order to get this handout to you. And uh, hope that it will be a good resource for us as we think through this subject that we're going to be addressing today. We're going to be talking about the responsibilities of church members. This is the second part in a two-part series on this. And as I've said at numerous points, it it could could have been a longer study as well. Uh, But I hope that this will be a good resource for us all as we think through this area of our responsibilities towards one another. So let's begin by reading Ephesians 4. We'll go from 11 to 16. Uh, The Bible says, And he gave... Uh, he refers to God, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the full, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we... Thank you for the privilege it is to be able to study your scriptures, Lord. We thank you for your words, which are life to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us today to know you better, Lord, and know better uh, responsibilities that you've given us to this body. Thank you for all that you do. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Now, if, uh, if you were to have someone, a couple maybe, come to you for help, uh, just think about a couple from this church, maybe not specifically anyone, but let's say that a couple from this church were to come and to ask you for help about their marriage. I imagine that the uh, conversation would go in pretty standard way. Uh, if you were to look to the husband and ask him, well, what's wrong? Uh, you know, they, they come to you, they said their marriage is falling apart, they need help. You ask the husband what's wrong. I imagine that he would say, um, something along the lines of, you know, it could be this, uh, these individual problems, it could be any other problems, but it would be framed in this sort of way, he may say something like, um, well, my, um, I, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells all the time around my wife, uh, it seems like nothing I do pleases her, she's always upset with me, she's always frustrated at me, she's always telling me all the things that I'm doing wrong, uh, I don't know how to interact with her, it just seems like she's always mad, um, everything else and maybe he gets through all that or not but maybe she would interject in the middle of that saying well if you understood uh you know the husband at this point you would understand why i act that way because 
you know, he ignores me. He comes home. Uh, he works all the time. When he does come home, he doesn't have anything to say to me. He always has some project to do and uh, completely ignores me and the children. Uh, never says anything nice to me. Uh, comes home and sits down on the couch, watch, watches football, puts his feet up, uh, everything else. And so uh, now the details in that sort of exchange can change, right? I mean, those, those are just some details I randomly threw out based on things that I typically hear. But, I mean, the details could change, but the substance of what I'm trying to say is that typically when people are looking at a problem, uh, the most standard way that they're addressing the problem is pointing their fingers at the other person and identifying the other person as the problem. That's just the way it goes. And so it's a very rare thing to have a couple come into counseling and then the conversation goes something like this. So uh, the, they ask the husband, what's the problem? And he says, well, uh, brother, the problem is me. I'm, I'm, I am so sinful. I don't love my wife like I should love her. I don't um, treat her the way I should treat her. Uh, I feel like my heart is deceitful and wicked, and uh, I, you know, I, 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 I want desperately to love my wife better, and I want you to help me. I really want you to help me to know how to do that. Please show me from God's word how I can love my wife uh, better. And, uh, uh, and you know, you, you don't hear the same thing from. You don't hear the other thing from the wife in that way, too. She, I mean, it's typically you don't hear, uh, you know, I, me too, add me to the list. It's not just him, it's me, right? It's not just him. Uh, you know, I, I know that I'm contributing to the problems in our marriage in so many ways, and I, I just I don't know what to do about it, and it grieves me to my heart to think of the damage that I'm causing, and please help me to know how best to love my husband. I think we're doing a terrible job at it, and we, we need your help. Please help us. So typically the conversation doesn't go that way at all, right? Um, now, but the same thing happens when you, you know, that's one relationship, okay? That's just one relationship. And when you look at, when you ask people, what's wrong with our church, right? Uh, what you're going to hear is, you're going to hear the same thing in the first example. You're going to hear all these problems. It's structural problems. We need to do this. We need to do that. Uh, you know, I don't feel loved when I come here. People don't treat me the way that they should treat me. Uh, and, and so on and on it goes. So you're going to hear a list of all these problems that are outside of the person. I mean, what you rarely hear is that I, you know, what's wrong with our church is me. I'm the problem. I have a sinful heart. I don't love the people at our body like I should love them. I don't do the, uh, I don't, um, there's a callousness there that I don't know what to do with. It's frightening to me. There's a callousness in my own heart uh, as it relates to the people around me. And, uh, you know, I, I could probably tell you a lot of uh, excuses and reasons that I have for not loving church the way I, the way, way I should, uh, and, and, and it may be helpful to address some of those things, but uh, at the end of the day, I think part of it is, part of it is my own doing. And so um, I bring up those two examples just to say that as you're thinking through any kind of study of responsibilities of people, uh, when, whenever, I mean, whether you're talking about a study as it relates to marriage, whether you're talking about a study as it relates to a church, uh, the study will only be profitable insofar as you have a group of people, whether it's two people as it relates to a marriage, whether it's uh, more people related to a family, whether it's more people related to a faith family. It's only going to be profitable so far as each individual person involved in those relationships looks at their responsibilities and, and says of, of these responsibilities, no matter what the other person does. I'm not going to wait around for that other person to change before I change. But no matter what anyone else does, I'm going to be faithful to, reveal, uh, to fulfill these responsibilities that God has given me because I love God and I want to love my neighbor as I love 
myself. Now, oftentimes, uh, in, in the first example, you have the couple who comes to you for help. You may ask, um, may ask the husband, well, tell me, I mean, what percentage of your marriage problems are, are your fault, for instance? So you, you, know, you have a bunch of marriage problems. What percentage are your fault? And they may say something along the lines of, well, I mean, I, uh, I know that uh, I think it's mostly her. Okay? <laughs> I think it's mostly her, but I'll, I mean, I think at least, uh, I don't know, 20% of it are mine. Okay, and so then you look at her and you say, well, what percentage of the problems are your fault? And she may say the same thing. Well, you know, uh, uh, obviously, I think most of it is him, but uh, maybe uh, 15% of it are mine or whatever else. I'll claim 15% of it. And so what do you say to them? You say, well, you work on your 10, uh, you work on your 20% husband, you work on your 15%. And if you both do that, that'll end up uh, being 100%. All right. So that's bad math. Uh, but uh, I think it's true if, uh, uh, you, you know, you look at any kind of relationship, if each person is willing to work on whatever their part is uh, and, and is primarily focused on their part, then the result of that is going to be a functional relationship, right? You're not going to have a group of people who are giving in order to get. You're not going to have a group of people who are waiting to be loved in order to love. You have a group of people who are... Uh, willing to love others regardless of what they get out of it. And they're willing to pursue faithfulness to God. And so as we think about this study of the responsibilities of church members, one of the things that we want to do is we want to study um, really uh, what does the Bible say about how we ought to love each other. And so you're given, I think, 38 commands in Scripture that give us somewhat of a definition of love. Uh, as I've, uh, I think I... I went over this a few Wednesday nights ago in terms of the class on sanctification. And what I'm trying to do is condense 38 points into one sermon. So pray for me uh, as I try to do that. Uh, but um, I think one of the best ways to tackle the subject of our responsibilities to one another is to think through these one another commands. And so they give some specificity as it relates to what love looks like. So as you read through the Bible, you look up every passage which says one another. Just look up every passage. I've tried to list them all out. I didn't include the ones, uh, 14 of the love one another passages, but I think I've tried to list uh, most of the rest of them. Uh, and, and what you see is that uh, you see a group of commands that are broadly categorized under the term one another. Uh, but primarily what you see is 15 of those times, the vast majority of the time, the times in which a body is instructed to do something towards one another is instructed to love one another. And that should come as no shock, really. If you think about uh, something we discussed in the, the uh, small group today, if you think about the responsibilities, uh, you, you can summarize the whole of the Bible under two great commands. One is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind. And the second is like it, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so it's no surprise that as you read through the Bible and you think about all the times we're instructed to do something towards one another, love is going to be one of the main words. But love is kind of a funny word in that it's difficult to know often what the word means. Uh, and, and, and so uh, there, there's many things our society thinks are love. Um, you know, the love in our society most often means that we, um, no matter what a person does, we give them unconditional positive regard. We give them full acceptance, warm acceptance. We just, uh, you know, if you're to love someone, then you're going to never disagree with them, never tell them they're wrong, always affirm everything they say, always try to encourage any kind of impulse that they have. And so that's our society's definition of love. But as you think through what does the word love mean, 
Uh, well, we, we're given a scriptural understanding of the word as we look through the Bible. And one of the ways to really give substance to the word is to think through what do the rest of the um, what do the rest of these uh, commands say? And that'll give shape to the word love. And so we're instructed in, uh, by the Apostle John at the, uh, in his first letter that we ought not to love simply in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to see an elaborate, uh, elaboration on what the word love means as we go through the rest of these one another commands. But the, the point uh, to not skip over at the very beginning is the degree to which we love our church will be demonstrated in our willingness to obey the rest of these commands. So let me say that again. The degree to which we love our church will be demonstrated in the, the same degree to which we obey the rest of these commands. So Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for the church. Uh, if we say we love God, we ought to do what he says, right? We ought to keep his commandments, as the scriptures say. And so we ought to love like him. So that's what sanctification is, being conformed into the image of Christ. So if Christ loved us so much that he's willing to set aside his divine uh, uh, rights and prerogatives and come and to be born of uh, sinful uh, humanity and then to uh, suffer and die and be beaten and, uh, beaten and abused... Uh, that he, he did that in part to provide us a demonstration of what love looks like. And so if we are to say that we are his followers, we should love like he loves. And so part of what we're going to see is what does it mean to love like he does? And so as I've said, the degree to which we love our church will be demonstrated by the, the degree in which we practice these one another commands. Now, oftentimes it's tempting, though when we look at any kind of relationship, to see all the problems. And so as I've given you two examples at the beginning. This is true in relationships. This is true in uh, work relationships. It's true in church relationships. We're often tempted to, to instead of take res personal responsibility to love like Christ, we put conditions on it. Uh, we, give, we make excuses for why we don't uh, maybe love as we should. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of a, of a young man who visited Westminster Seminary, uh, Presbyterian uh, seminary in philadelphia and he was speaking to jay adams and he said of westminster theological seminary he said this place just feels cold uh, and distant and uh, jay adams in the way that only jay adams can speak uh, looked at him and said well warm it up <laughs> that's what he said so uh you feel like it's cold we'll warm it up and and uh, you know i don't know that we should put it quite that way but <laughs> But I, I, there's something true to what he is saying, though. To the, you know, uh, the, there are people who look at, can look at groups and organizations and only see the problems. Uh, but then there are other people who look at the same thing and say, well, if it feels cold, I'm going to warm it up, right? Well, that's how we should look at our church. So what does love look like? Well, we're going to think in terms of several different categories. First, you're thinking in, you can think in terms of hospitality. So you have different one another commands that are related to the subject of hospitality. For example... First uh, Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, welcome one another, Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Uh, greet one another, Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of God greet you. You probably interpret that nowadays. Uh, greet one another with a holy handshake or something along those lines. But a um, simple point, though, is well, what does... What does love look like? Well, at the bare minimum, it's acknowledging the presence of other people around us, isn't it? 
Uh, it's uh, seeking to, uh, you, you, you see a new person, you want to introduce yourself, you want to get to know them. You, you start out probably by welcoming and greeting them, uh, and then you may want to extend some uh, invitation towards hospitality. I, I mean, you think about our body, there's only so much we can do here. Uh, in a gathering you understand i mean this, you can only get to know people in a gathering on a fairly superficial level i mean i we we hope to um structure our affairs in such a way that provides uh, some form of relationship building but you have to understand you're very limited in what you can accomplish in in a public corporate gathering and so as you think through all these one another commands you ought not to think of these one another commands as things that can only happen here right Look at all these, com- if you, as you look at all these one another commands, you think, these are my responsibilities to this group of people, not to this gathering. You, you see what I mean? It's my responsibilities to this group of people who are gathered. And, and some of these things I'm only going to be able to do in the context of pursuing you one-on-one uh, and trying to form a relationship with you. So uh, the, some of that's included with this uh, issue of hospitality, for instance. So as you're thinking of what does love look like, first you can think in terms of basic um, issues of hospitality. You can also think in terms of service, and so I've tried to categorize uh, these commands in in uh, in terms of service commands. So you have Galatians five thirteen, serve one another. Uh, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, that's stated very specifically in the language of service. But then you also have uh, the language of service presented in other ways so you see first thessalonians 5 15 see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone so uh, service involves uh, meeting tangible needs it's, it involves actively seeking to do good for others uh, it seeks for uh, it also uh, is uh, explained in this basic responsibility to care for one another so but uh, uh, first Corinthians 12, 24 through 25, God has so compo- composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Uh, so the opposite of having division is that everyone here learns to serve one another, do good to one another, care for one another, uh, be kind for one another. Uh, in the context of the Lord's Supper, wait for one another, so don't just be selfish and be the first to uh, eat. Um, they used to have a bigger meal when they did um, the Lord's Supper than we do, but... <coughs> Part of all that involves basic service for one another. Now, uh, as we discussed in the small group today, I, I do think that these um, service commands are the easier commands. So, I mean, I, most of the time, no one's going to fight you if you try to do good to them, be kind to them, and care for them, and serve them, uh, and prefer them, and wait for them. And most of the time, no one's really going to fight you uh, with, with these sorts of things. These are the kind of things that are easy um, and um, I'm not trying to trivialize them. I mean, um, it is a good sign that, um, for instance, if we have one of our members who just had a pregnancy, that we all come and uh, send, uh, take them meals and uh, baby showers and everything else. Those are very good things and part of what the Scripture says. But those are the things, though, that don't necessarily require uh, interpersonal communication, you understand. And so uh, the Francis, uh, the St. Francis uh, of Assisi quote comes to mind there, which says... Uh, um, preach the gospel, and if necessary, do uh, use words. Well, I think we naturally gravitate towards just preaching the gospel in the sense of trying to um, do good and serve people. And you know, maybe we think of Jesus as a do-gooder there who just ran around trying to help e- help each other. Uh, but I think that that quote uh, misunderstands the gospel. The gospel isn't just a message of service. 
but it's a message of what Jesus Christ did, uh, forgiving the guilty. And there's no, the only way to preach the gospel is to use words. And so we can live out the implications of the gospel, but in order to actually preach the gospel, we have to use our mouth. And so part of that involves doing some of these things that are uh, listed in the th- third section here. So one another's that are related to godly communication. So as I've said, I think we, we have uh, much more toleration for just uh, simple re- acts of kindness than we do for uh, people intentionally trying to get involved in our lives and to speak uh, words about what the scriptures would say. And so we have a lot of one another commands here related to the category of godly speech. We are to instruct one another. Uh, Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. We are to teach one another. Colossians three sixteen. let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your heart to God. And so notice the content of our teaching. It's not just uh, anything that we think is wise or practical or helpful. Uh, we ought to teach people what we find written in God's word. And so I mean, as you think about... Uh, um, it, it's so interesting when you interact with people in the world, especially, uh, they're going to call Christians preachy, Right? So people in the world will call Christians preachy, and they'll say that we're, uh, we need to mind our own bi- business, and we're bigoted, and we're narrow, and uh, they do all that at, while preaching to us, you understand? <laughs> I mean, it's not as if uh, everyone preaches. The issue, is not, uh, the issue is not that we should either preach or not be preachy. Everyone preaches. Everyone has a message. What is the message? What are we saying? I mean, uh, some of the people that have been the most angry at me for saying things that they don't like, they're in anger telling me things that I should be doing and not doing. So it's not the issue is not what we're teaching others. The issue is what's the content. And so as if you look at our body and you look at the people that God has put us in, uh, in close proximity to, we're all going to teach something. Now, the issue is what are we going to teach? And the only way we're going to have anything good or helpful or edifying to say is if, we're, uh, if we have our faces buried into a, a book that was written over 1,900 years or more ago. So, I mean, that's the only thing, way we're going to have anything helpful to say. But everyone teaches. The issue is, what do we teach? So, what are these one another commands? We instruct one another. We teach one another. We encourage, build up, stir up one another. So, you have First Thessalonians 4.18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, Hebrews 10.24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir one another. Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you have all this language of encouraging, building up, stirring up one another. And that's all related to the opening verse that I I started out with. So what is the job of pastors and teachers? Why did God give the church pastors and teachers? Well, Ephesians says he gave the church pastors... uh, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry so what does that mean that means you look around us and we we're a church full of ministers right oftentimes we think of ministry in a narrow exclusive sense of uh, vocational ministry so some people feel called to the ministry and so they're the only ones who are ministers right and we call them pastors but if you look at ephesians 4 right there it says that everyone needs to be a minister 
uh, meaning everyone needs to be a person who is considering how they may serve one another, right? I mean, basically, the word ministry means service. So every one of us are ministers in a biblical sense of a word uh, in that we're all responsible to uh, encourage one another, instruct one another, stir one another up. They we're all responsible to serve one another. We're all responsible to uh, be a means. So a means that God uses to build his church. And so look at uh, Ephesians 4 for, for a second. Uh, Ephesians 4, at the end of it, God's given, uh, God's given uh, the church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So uh, to equip the saints to, to minister to one another. So it doesn't see ministry there as an event which happens. It sees ministry as a lifestyle of obedience to God's commands. But look at um, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from which the whole body, joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the job of pastors and teachers is to equip this body to build itself up in love. Uh, so what is that going to mean? That means the, the job of pastors and teachers is to teach the scriptures so that we can encourage this body to uh, know what the truth is and how best to minister to one another. And that's not going to happen in the con- uh, apart from each and every one of us taking upon ourselves the responsibility of cultivating and building personal relationships where we uh, not only serve one another, do good to one another, care for one another, be kind to one another, wait for one another, but we also instruct one another, teach one another, encourage uh, one another. We, uh, in the language of Colossians, admonish one another, uh, Hebrews language, exhort one another, and sing to one another. So uh, all of us together, we have a responsibility to build up this body. And this body, uh, uh, we're all ministers in that sense. We're responsible to instruct, to admonish, to exhort, to rebuke, to sing to one another. So um, God's church growth plan is, if you want to know God's church growth plan, it, it, it this uh, his plan for this church to grow is that each and every one of us look at the people around us and say, I'm going to intentionally love them, instruct them, serve them, and build them up. Uh, and in so doing, we'll be an accurate image bearers and picture of God's temple. Now, so I've given you one another commands that relate to godly speech, but there's also one another commands that are related to ungodly speech. And so you have uh, one another commands uh, that uh, basically it, you, we do exhort one another, but then in a negative way, we don't lie to one another. Uh, we don't speak evil against one another. We don't grumble against one another. We don't de- uh, bite and devour one another. So these are all one another commands that relate to things that we don't do uh, with our tongue. Now, we know that uh, and words of many transgression is unavoidable, but we don't have the option of just shutting our mouth off, right? Because you have all the other one another commands of things that we are to positively do with our tongues. So uh, in opening your mouth, <laughs> you're exposing yourself to ungodly speech, uh, but then the, the way to avoid that is not just to keep from talking, right? Because then you would be neglecting the previous verses. So what are we not to do? We're not to lie to one another, one another speak evil, uh, grumble, bite, and devour. Now, you can elaborate on each one of these things, and I hope over the course of our teaching that we'll get to address each one of these things uh, specifically. But uh, it, uh, there's many different ways that we can lie about one another. We can uh, exaggerate and say that we always do this, you never do that. Uh, you can um, try to judge a person's motives. I mean, think about this. The one thing we never have access to is a person's motives. I don't know what's in your heart. I can only guess. I can only speculate. I can only put forth a tentative uh, 
guess and ask you, is this what you're thinking? Because I really don't have access to that. And uh, I'll leave it to God who one day will judge the secrets of man's heart. Because I'm not him. I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. So there's many ways that we can, with our tongue, we can slander one another. We can um, bite and devour one another, complain about one another. But if we love one another, those things won't be characteristic of us. So as you think through uh, some of the ways in which love is manifested, love is manifested through acts of service, through things we do with our tongue. I've given you positive and negative things. But then also it's love is manifested through just a basic attitude of humility. An attitude of humility says that God is God and I'm not. I'm not God, right? Uh, I'm not, you know. I'm not coming to our assembly thinking that my kingdom come or that my will be done. Ultimately, we gather together as a church in order to worship the Lord. We seek his kingdom. We seek his purposes. And so um, part of uh, me being humble is to say I'm aligning myself with the purposes of God. I'm not seeking my own way. Um, uh, in the context of this verse, First uh, Peter 5, 5, it says, Likewise, you, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourself. All of you with humility towards one another, for God poses the proud and gives grace to the humble. So in that context, what we're talking about is a fundamental attitude which says that uh, God is in charge, uh, that uh, we are not the ultimate source of wisdom. It may be a willingness to give a hearing to other people who have different ideas and opinions to do so without uh, shouting or yelling and just uh, patience with other people. Uh, it may be a willingness to... Uh, think about the life experience that God has given many and to consider that into decision making and everything else and so there's a humility there that uh, should be characteristic of all of us we should be characteristic of uh, humility as demonstrated in showing honor to one another so when other people um, do things which are honorable we should be quick to um, point it out right I mean we're not just motivated by some uh, selfish uh, self-centered attempt to get others to honor us but we ought to uh, be um, Part of even being thankful for people is to see the work that God is doing. Uh, one of the things that C.G. Mahaney said in his book, Humility, that I thought was a very helpful way to cultivate humility is to look around at other people and look for evidence of grace in their life. And so think about the ways in which God is working in their life. And part of trying to cult cultivate humility, I think it's a pursuit. It's something that we should actively pursuing is to look around and see the things that God is doing in other people, right? Uh, and be able to point it out instead of just point out all the flaws like in the first two examples I gave you understand instead of just seeing all the bad things look for the evidence of God's grace working in, in uh, people's lives and so that would be a characteristic of humility don't pass judgment don't provoke one another uh, you know that's a church command don't provoke one another it's also a, it's also a family command fathers don't provoke your children to wrath now, you can elaborate on all these things. Don't sue one another, right? It's already an utter failure if we have a conflict amidst this church. If we were to go to, go to the law against one another, why not just uh, rather be defrauded, as the text says? And so uh, those are all evidence of humility that says everything I have belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. It's a stewardship given to me. If, if, uh, if you're going to be so upset with me for this thing, you can just have it. It's not a big deal. I don't care. It's just stuff, right? I mean, that's humility. So... That defines our responsibility to one another. Don't envy one another. That's sort of the, uh, the a person who envies won't want to show honor to other people, right? <laughs> so the person who envies another person will look at someone and say, I can't believe that you, this uh, good, good, wonderful thing happened to you. I'm so upset about it. I wish it would have happened to me. Instead, uh, show honor to them. 
Similarly, don't make the comparisons with yourself uh, between one another. So that's the ultimate expression of humility there. Instead of seeing ourselves in relationship to other people, we see ourselves in relationship to God. So as, as we're saying, there's many different ways that love practically manifests itself manifests itself in service and things we do with our tongue and fundamental attitude of humility uh, love manifests itself in peacemaking christ is our ultimate example in that regard too isn't he i mean what did christ do on the cross he came and he died for us to make peace between us and the father didn't he so uh, that peace that god made between uh, sinful humanity and rebellion against him and god uh now that's reflected in the way that we treat one another. So we love one another just as God loved us. And so we see ourselves as members of a justified community. We see ourselves as members of a community who uh, has had peace for us, one with God. And so unlike the wicked servant uh, who's been forgiven the great debt that he could never pay uh, and then goes to his fellow servant and grabs him by the throat and says, you will pay me what I owe. Uh, instead of having that sort of attitude, we have the attitude which says, I want peace with my neighbors. So uh, peacemakers will be those who are willing to confess to one another and pray for one another. So we're not looking at ourselves as people who uh, never commit sin. We are sinful. We're going to still, we have remnant sin in our hearts. We're going to confess it to one another. We're going to pray for one another. Um, we're going to be forgiving uh, minor offenses. Uh, the Bible says that uh, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. Uh, but then when others sin against us, we're quick to willing to extend forgiveness to them. Uh, I don't deserve anything. I don't uh, deserve to be treated in a certain way. I, you know, when you sin against me, instead of responding to that by saying, I mean, you hurt my feelings. I can't believe you, you would treat me that way. I can't believe that you would talk about me that way. I can't believe that, uh, you know, I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't deserve this kind of thing. And don't you care about me and don't you love me? Instead of all that, basically we see our sin as primarily sins against God. I, I, you know, who am I? I don't deserve anything. You can treat me however you want to treat me. And what concerns me is not how you treat me because I, it's going to hurt me, but what concerns me the most is the fact that what you're doing to me is reflective of your relationship with God, and I want you to have a right relationship with God. And I want, um, and he's not pleased with you when you uh, stand in rebellion against him, and so I want you to be restored to him, and I'm willing to forgive whenever you ask. So, uh, that's what love looks like. It looks like forgiving one another, comforting one another, uh, bearing with one another. Uh, that's uh, in the context of overlooking minor offenses, disagreeing with one another. That's um, in the context of um, basically just pursuing uh, reconciliation and peace. Finally, just uh, stating the matter in a simple way. Be at peace with one another. So blessed are the peacemakers, right? As the Gospel of Matthew would say. So as you look at all this list, I know that you can't go through each one of these in a very direct and very specific way, but I hope it will be a resource for us that we can uh, look at and uh, pray about, pray over. Uh, you, you have all these different categories. You have categories of service. You have categories of um, uh, things that we do with our tongue, things that we don't do with our tongue, fundamental attitudes of humility, uh, this fundamental disposition of peacemaking. We tried to address some of those things in the Contifoco Resolution class. And we're going to keep on uh, trying to address some peacemaking uh, subject matter in the future. But um, we also have one another as it relates to God-honoring relationships. So we have submit to one another. That's Ephesians 5.19. 
So as you read Ephesians uh, 5.19, it says, Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then verse 21, uh, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So what does that look like? What does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ? Well, read the next verse. Um, you're going to take this general command to submit to one another and give it specifics. So next verse, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and, and is himself its savior. So this general command uh, finds its way into specifics in terms of uh, family dynamics, wives to husbands. Go to Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So that's another way that this command to submit to one another works itself out practically. That means children, obey your parents. And the Lord, um, Ephesians 6, 5, slaves obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, not with fear, or slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would uh, Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from their heart. So you have uh, this general command to submit works itself out in terms of husband and wife, children and parents. Um, you can say employer, employee, maybe uh, if you were to elaborate on that. But basically what that looks like is God-honoring relationships. Uh, you also have uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, don't deprive one another sexually. That's a command given to spouses. Um, so what does love look like? Well, it doesn't look like depriving one another. 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited period of time that you... Uh, may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack, lack of self-control. Whatever you want to say about that, two years is not a limited time, okay? I've had people come into counseling. Uh, yeah. I had a guy come to counseling once, and he says, my wife has not uh, been intimate with me in two years. And so whatever, um, what, whatever's going on there, that's not love, you understand? So um, basically, if you think about the one another commands you have in terms of you have commands larger related to body and then they narrow down into specific practical relationships between husband, wife, children, parents, slave, master, uh, husband and wife again. And so finally, the last thing I'll list here is this command, uh, which is not actually a command uh, that I put at the end, fellowship with one another. And so oftentimes I think maybe... Um, I wish I could elaborate on this a little bit more, but um, oftentimes I, I think uh, we're, we're tempted to understand fellowship or koinonia, and, a bi and koinonia is the word in the Bible in a way that maybe is not um, accurate. Uh, and so uh, if, you, if you do have a pen, you may want to write this definition down in your Bible. Uh, because one of the things that you may think is, as you read through all these one another commands, one of the things you may think is that well, where's the one that says we need to have fellowship with one another? Well, it's not there because fellowship is not something that we necessarily do, but something that is characteristic of us. And so as you read through First John 1, 1 through 3, you'll see this. Um, that which is from the beginning. Now, that's a shorthand form of Jesus. Basically, they're talking about Jesus, which is the word of life, who was with the Father and made manifest to us. But read it this way. Jesus was from the beginning. Uh, we've heard him seen him with our eyes we've looked upon him we've touched him with our hands concerning the word of life so uh, they're describing jesus as a word of life 
who they was in the beginning, who they heard, they've seen, they've looked upon and touched. So that life, uh, so the life of Christ, Christ was made fa- manifest by him coming in the flesh and uh, becoming human. And we have seen it. So we've seen him. We've testified to it. Proclaim to you this eternal life, this Jesus who is, who is God, a very God, who's come and put on human flesh, uh, which was with the Father. So Jesus was... Um, is the eternal life who was with the Father and made manifest to us historically in the person of Jesus Christ. So what it says is, what we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what does fellowship mean there? Well, it means close association involving mutual interest and sharing. I'll say that again. Fellowship means close association involving Mutual interest and sharing. And so the message of 1 John is a message that Jesus Christ has won for us close association involving mutual interest and sharing with God. So fundamentally, when I become a Christian, I'm justified. I'm, I'm declared to be righteous in God's sight. Instead of being an enemy of God, all of a sudden I'm reconciled to him. You understand? Instead of being God's enemy, all of a sudden I'm reconciled with him and I have fellowship with him because me becoming a Christian means I uh, confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so what that means is when I become a Christian, I'm saying, you are Lord, not me. So we have mutual interest, do you understand? We have the interest of uh, glorifying you and making your name known because you are the most important reality in all the universe. So fundamentally, we become uh, saved. All of a sudden, we have uh, salvation is a message of us having fellowship with uh, with God. Now, when you preach a message of salvation, 1 John 1, 3, it says, what we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. So, in other words, we have fellowship with God, and we're going to tell you about God so that you'll have fellowship with us. Why? Well, because, uh, indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So, as you think through how this works, the message of a gospel is a message of fellowship with one another, with God and with one another. So, how does that look practically? Well, here's how it looks practically. Uh, you know, when I go home to Alabama, uh, sometimes I accidentally wear this Auburn shirt that I have laying around the house. Uh, and I, you know, someone gave it to me somewhere along the lines, and I don't, uh, I don't even notice that I'm wearing it because it's just something to wear. Uh, but then people will see me wearing it, and they'll walk up to me, and they'll say, War Eagle. And then I'll turn around. And I have no idea who they're talking to. And then... I, then I look down and the terror comes to my eyes. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're talking to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to do <laughs> is the next thought. <laughs> I, I think I'm supposed to say it back. Uh, it, but then I'm so flustered by that point that I don't even say anything. And then they're looking at me like I'm like uh, some sort of uh, mentally handicapped person or something. I don't know. They just don't. We don't know what happened. Now, what, what happened there? They assume that we had fellowship, you understand? They assumed that we had close association involving mutual interest and sharing, and we didn't, you understand? We did not. And it's not because I hate Auburn or something like that. It's just I just have, uh, I didn't know the rules, and I didn't understand what shirt I was wearing. Now, uh, no, but, but, but that, but fellowship is though it's just a standard word which involves close association involving mutual interest and sharing. Uh, and so as you think about that example, as Christians, you know, just uh, we're all wearing an Alabama or an Auburn shirt, you understand? But it's uh, the shirt of the cross, right? And so as members of this group of people here, we all have fellowship with one another because of what Jesus did for us. And so that's why when you meet a Christian, you see a person who loves the Lord, 
all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. When you see that person, and you see a person who's committed to obey the Lord no matter what, no matter if it's unpopular, no matter what anyone else uh, uh, thinks, and you see that person who legitimately is seeking to live out the scriptures, you all of a sudden realize about that person, there's an attractiveness to that person, and you want to be around them, and you want to talk to them, because you realize that there's something that holds you together uh, that is uh, more significant than maybe even the trivial example I just gave. You realize that you're all members of a new family. You've been adopted by God as members of a new family. Uh, there's a unity there that has been won for you on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, right? So that's what fellowship means. Uh, but uh, uh, fellowship, just like love, if you look at, uh, if you look at all these one another commands, uh, that you know they they all go hand in hand right i mean if we want to have the right kind of fellowship there's not just rallied around some kind of special interest group here if we want to have the right kind of fellowship uh, it's going to be rallied around a commitment to a creator who made us and who died for us and it's going to be accompanied by a willingness to love other people in deed and in truth like these one another commands say you understand so uh, with that being said let's close with a word of prayer lord we thank you for the chance we have to study your word lord i pray that this uh uh, handout will be a resource to our church, Lord, that we prayerfully consider the responsibilities that we have to our body, Lord, that we look at these responsibilities and we would see that uh, they are reflections of, uh, of a love that, that, that should be uh, manifest in all our heart for you and for your people, Lord. I pray that you help us to prayerfully consider these things, Lord, that we wouldn't just uh, go on to the next sermon next week, Lord, but that we would we would uh, dig, dig and study these things, Lord, and ask ourselves, am I faithful to these responsibilities? And what, are, and, and what can I do to grow in, in, in conformity to these responsibilities, Lord? I pray that you work mightily in our church to help us to love each other better. Lord, I thank you for the, all, the, all the evidences that you are already at work helping us to love each other, Lord. And I pray that you help us love each other more and more, Lord. And I know that, that uh, that's a task that will never be completed in this life, Lord. That we will never love each other perfectly, Lord. But I pray that you help us to look at these things and look for areas of weakness and look for areas of unfaithfulness and that we would confess those and repent and that we would uh, once again be stirred on to greater faithfulness by the power of your spirit. Uh, thank you for what you've done for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.